Thank you. Thank you, choir. Well, last Sunday we began the very first lesson in a new sermon series entitled Keys to Spiritual Growth. The goal of this first lesson is simply to lay a foundation for our study by addressing three areas related to spiritual growth, which you'll see right there in your sermon notes. First, clearing up misunderstandings about spiritual growth. Second, defining what spiritual growth is. And then third, looking at what God's part is in spiritual growth, the divine provision, and then looking at what our part is, the human responsibility. Last Sunday, we covered the first two areas, so I want to begin with a brief review of what we looked at last week before we address uh, the third area. So please follow in your sermon notes, and that first area is clearing up misunderstandings about spiritual growth, and I mentioned eight. First, my position in Christ has nothing to do with spiritual growth. In Christ, God sees me as already perfect. That's my position in Christ. In Christ, He sees me as already perfect, despite the fact that my practice is far from perfect. Spiritual growth is closing the gap between my position in Christ and my practice. In Ephesians 4.1 we read, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now the point of application is simply this, I am not to become so content with my position in Christ that I do not strive to make it a reality in my practice. That is simply what spiritual growth is all about, bringing my position in Christ in harmony with my practice in Christ, and of course, that will be a lifelong process, and it will not be complete until we see Jesus. The second misunderstanding that we need to clear up about spiritual growth is God's love is not affected by spiritual growth. In other words, God doesn't love me any more if I grow. He does not love me any less if I do not. God's love is unconditional for His child. John 13, 1, He loved them to the very end, warts and all, failures and all. Now, this is absolutely crucial, as we saw last week, to understand. Because spiritual growth is not achieved through an unbroken chain of successes. A better description of spiritual growth would be two steps forward and then what? One step back. It's a very painful, long, difficult process. Therefore... Knowing there's going to be many ups and downs, knowing there's going to be many struggles and failures in that process, where do I find the confidence? Where do I find the encouragement to continue to pursue spiritual growth? The answer is in the unfailing love of my heavenly Father who never gives up on me, who continues to teach me, who continues to encourage me. And yes, when necessary, to correct me. And he does all of that for my spiritual good. The third uh, misunderstanding about spiritual growth that we need to clear up is dramatic spiritual experiences 
do not necessarily result in spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, we see a great example of this in the children of Israel related to their exodus from Egypt. It says, all of them, several million, were guided by a cloud. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. They experienced that marvelous miracle of God parting the waters at the Red Sea and then destroying the armies of Pharaoh. All of them ate the same spiritual food, that miraculous manna that came down from heaven each day. All of them drank the same spiritual drink, that water that flowed out of the rock. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And when it says God was not pleased with most of them, He was not pleased with all of them except what? Two, just Joshua and Caleb. The rest, despite seeing glorious miracles, it did not result in spiritual growth. And you know, it's very interesting to observe that in Israel's biblical history, there were three periods of time where there are plentiful miracles. Uh, first, during the ministry of Moses, related to the exodus from Egypt. Second, during the ministries of uh, Elijah and Elisha, the two great prophets. Third, during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now, despite all of the miracles that were performed during those times, all three periods were three of the greatest periods of unbelief in Israel's history. The last actually what culminating in the crucifixion of the miracle maker himself, the Lord Jesus. The point is, miracles, as great as they are, and yes, God is still in the miracle making business, miracles are not a shortcut to spiritual growth. The fourth misunderstanding, God blessing a person with prosperity is not a mark of spiritual growth. In Revelation 3, verse 17, Christ said these words to the church at Laodicea, which was the most materially prosperous church in the New Testament era. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. That was their condition materially. And they thought because they were knowing prosperity materially, they must be doing well spiritually. But God says, and you don't realize, and here, here was his evaluation of this spiritually. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. On the other hand, you can take the church at Philippi, which although it was one of the poorest churches materially in the New Testament era, it was one of the richest churches spiritually. Prosperity is no more a mark of spiritual growth as adversity is a mark of stunted growth because spiritual growth has absolutely nothing to do with how much or how little you have. It's all about the kind of person you are becoming. The fifth misunderstanding that we needed to clear up is good intentions are not a measure of spiritual growth. And you see that very clearly in Romans 7. Here's some good intentions that never pan out. I want to do what is right. Those are good intentions, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. See, good intentions are absolutely useless unless they lead to developing spiritual habits that produce spiritual 
growth. The sixth misunderstanding that we looked at last Sunday, how long a person is a Christian is not an indicator of spiritual growth. Hebrews 5.12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. See, tragically, many Christians grow old while remaining spiritual babies. And the point to understand here is, is that spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires the application of the biblical truths that we will look at in this series. The seventh misunderstanding, knowledge of the Bible does not automatically equate to spiritual growth. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. God did not give the Bible merely to provide us information about God, but to produce transformation to make us like God. Spiritual growth comes when you go beyond the written word to the God who wrote it, to know Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to trust and obey Him. And then the eighth and the final misunderstanding that we sought to clear up last Sunday is busyness in ministry is not to be confused with spiritual growth. Revelations chapter 2, Jesus addressing the church at Ephesus says, I know all the things you do, and they were very involved in the work of God. I have seen your hard work, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. See, their busyness merely cloaked their diminishing love for Jesus and one another. Busyness in ministry cannot produce spiritual growth any more than doing good works can earn salvation. It's just that simple. Now... What spiritual growth is, and uh, we looked at this last uh, Sunday, so again, this is review, and I'll be very brief. Spiritual growth is the lifelong, and that's a key word, is the lifelong process by which a Christian's character and conduct is changed to be like Jesus. So spiritual growth is a lifelong, it's a process that we begin at conversion and will not be complete till I see Jesus face to face. And it's a process by which my character becomes more like Jesus. So I'm changed from the inside, what? Out. So that it impacts my conduct to be seen to be like Jesus. 2 Peter 3, 18. You must grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. Like Jesus as we are changed into His glorious image. And then Ephesians 4.15. Growing in every way more and more like Jesus. 
Now, we need to finish this first lesson up. And again, this is just introductory. It's laying a foundation. We'll be touching all of these points going forward when we look at the specific spiritual truths and principles that will uh, enable us to grow spiritually. But the divine provision for spiritual growth. And, uh, and then the human responsibility for spiritual growth. The balance between those things. And we see this very, very clearly in Second Peter chapter 1. And the, concerning the divine provision, the first thing God has provided us is the power of Christ. The power of Christ. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us, what's that next word? Everything. Would you please circle that word? God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. In other words, that power is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have come to know Him experientially. He dwells within our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And not only the power of Christ, but the promises of Christ. The promises of Christ. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, the wonderful thing here is, we not only have His promises, but again, that promise giver lives in us to guarantee the fulfillment of His promises as we put our trust in Him. Now, let me ask you a question. If I'm not experiencing spiritual growth, if I am not experiencing spiritual growth, is it because I lack anything I need? No. I mean, the Scripture could not be clear. God has given me everything I need. I don't need to be seeking some experience to take me into the deeper spiritual life. I don't need to be seeking something to get more of it because I already have everything that I'm ever going to receive from God. The issue is what? Learning to appropriate it, right? So we just read, God has given me the power and promises of Christ, which provide, again, everything I need for living a godly life. So then, why do I fail to grow spiritually as I should? Why do you fail to grow spiritually as you should? And there are fundamentally just two reasons. Really just two reasons. First, it's possible I'm just ignorant of what God has provided me. I'm just ignorant of all that I possess in Christ. I'm not aware that the power of Christ dwells in me. That I've been given all the promises of Jesus. That Jesus... All that he is, all that is, is, is mine, my possession. The other possibility is that for whatever reason, and there could be various reasons, but I'm failing to appropriate his power and his promises. 
You know, we talked about last week. You know, somebody could deposit a million dollars in my bank account. And whippy, if you want to do that, please feel free to do so. Uh, But what good does that do me if I don't withdraw it? To use it? To spend it? So the point is, God has deposited in your life, in my life, the very person of Christ, the very power, the very promises of Jesus. But if I fail to draw on that, to appropriate it, it won't do me a whit of of good. Therefore, listen now, my great need, your great need is first to have our spiritual eyes opened to see the provision that God has made for us. And then we must learn how to tap into that provision and appropriate it, use it in our lives for spiritual growth. Now, last week I gave you a guarantee. I told you if you would be present through this sermon series, I said if you would put into practice what I share with you, that I would guarantee you would grow spiritually. And I do guarantee that on the integrity of God's Word, and I have proven it in my personal experience over the years. So here's the first thing I'm going to ask you to do if you're really serious about growing spiritually. And you'll need to write this down uh, right there uh, on your notes. I want you to begin on a regular basis praying two prayers for your life. Two prayers for your life. Virtually every single day, 365 days, I did virtually every day, I pray these two prayers for my life. I can honestly say these are the two prayers I have prayed for you in this Edgewood family more than any other. And here are the two prayers. Let me let you just get the references down. They're both in Ephesians. And the first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Now, listen to me now. You know what that prayer is for? That prayer is that God would open my eyes to see what He's already given me. That I would not be blind to what I possess in Christ but I would realize all of that power, all of those promises, the person. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 21. And that prayer is all about appropriating that power. Knowing that power at work in my life to accomplish God's plans and purposes. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 is a prayer, O God, open my eyes. Ephesians 3, a prayer to appropriate. Now let me, I'll just paraphrase these prayers for you just so you'll see how powerful they are. The Ephesians 1 prayer. Here's the prayer. That Father, would you please grant to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And then it goes on, would you please open the eyes of my heart, the eyes, my spiritual understanding, so that I would see three things. It mentions three specific things. First, 
that you would open my eyes, that I would see and come to understand my calling in Christ, my position in Christ, your plan for my life. And then second, would you open the eyes of my heart? Would you give me the spiritual understanding to see the provision that you've made for me? That I would see the riches of your glory that you have deposited into my life, into my account. And then the third thing he asked for, God, give me spiritual eyes to see the power that you've made available to me through the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So that's the first prayer. God, open the eyes of my heart. Give me understanding concerning what you have provided for me, the power you've made available to me. So that's the first prayer. The second prayer, Ephesians 3, is all about appropriating that power. Here's how that prayer goes. God, would you grant me, would you grant me today, would you grant me this moment in this particular situation according to the riches of your glory, all those riches you've deposited, to be strengthened with power through your spirit in my inner man? For what purpose? That I might know the reality of Christ in my heart. Gaining preeminence over every, 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 every area of my life. And being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That I would come to experience, enjoy the length, depth, breadth, and height of Christ's love that surpasses all comprehension. That I would be filled with the fullness of God. That you would move, remove everything from my life that's not like Jesus, fill me with Jesus, that Jesus might be put on display through me. And then he says, now unto him, now unto God, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above and beyond anything I could ever ask, think, or pray for, according to that power that works in me. The power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. For what purpose? To the praise and the glory of Christ's grace and for the benefit of not only this present generation but future generations as God, as God uses me to accomplish His purposes. So, do you really want to grow? Begin praying those two prayers. Because what does James say? Listen now. He says, you have not because you what? Yes, not. Many times, people don't experience spiritual growth because they don't ask. They never ask that their eyes be open to see what they have. They don't ask to appropriate that through the power and the blessings of Jesus. Now, very, very quickly, look at the human responsibility for spiritual growth. And uh, I'm going to work through all of this very, very quickly. I'll probably come back to it uh, next week, but I want you to get the complete picture. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, he's just talked about the divine provision. We have the person of Christ. And through the person of Christ, we have all his power. We have all of his promises. And then notice what he says in verse 5, right after that. He says, in view of this. In view of what? In view of everything you have in Jesus. All that's been provided to you. Make every effort. Circle the word effort. Make every effort. To what? Respond. Circle the word respond to God's promises. Praise God 
I do not lack anything that I need to live a godly life, to experience spiritual growth. But I must reciprocate. I have a responsibility. There are things in this process I must do. God will not do for me. And so it says, in view of this, I have to make every effort to respond. Now, the the million-dollar question is, how? How do I respond to Christ's power and promises in order to tap into that power and those promises and appropriate what is already mine, to put it into use, to put it into practice? And the answer is found in this very passage. In 1 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7, he mentions eight virtues. He says, in view of this, you make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then he says, and this is how you do it. Here are the eight virtues God is asking you to bring to the table. In other words, again, spiritual growth is a reciprocal process. God has made provision, but I must reciprocate. I have responsibility. And here it is. First, faith. He mentions faith. And what is faith? The best definition I know of faith is trusting obedience. So faith is just to trust and obey. To trust and obey. Now listen, folks, that's my responsibility. God is not going to trust for me. God is not going to obey for me. God's giving me every incentive, every motivation. His powers at work in me, providing the energy, the motivation. But there's a point where I have to make a choice, a deliberate, intentional choice, that in this situation, in this circumstance, at this time, I am going to trust God's power and promises. And because I do, although I may be shaky, I might be fearful, I might be anxious, I'm going to step in obedience. I'm going to obey what God's Word says. Despite my fear, despite my weakness. Look at the second thing. He says moral excellence. Moral excellence is simply the courage to stand firm in my faith. It's the courage to stand firm in my faith. The better, maybe a better way to put this, what I need to bring to the table in terms of spiritual growth is a willingness to stand alone for Christ with the express motive to please Him, to honor Him. That's what drives this whole thing. It's Him, His honor, to please Him. So I must trust Him and I must obey Him, but there's got to be a willingness, as I do, if necessary, to stand alone for Jesus, even if it's against majority opinion, even if it's against the whole world. And that motive for that is to please and honor Him. The third thing is knowledge. And in this context, this knowledge is applying biblical principles to my circumstances. This is where the rubber meets the road. We'll be talking much more about this next Sunday. We'll be looking at the master key to spiritual growth, which is God's Word. And again, it's not just knowing it, it's applying it. The fourth thing is self-control. And in the Greek text, that phrase literally means Taking a grip on oneself. Taking a grip on oneself. In other words, refusing to let anything master me, but the master himself. Because I realize I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The blood was the ransom price he paid to bring me out of captivity to the devil 
And now he's my new master, my new Lord. And I'm to love, honor, and obey him. So I need to bring to this process of spiritual growth a commitment to not let anything master me but the master of himself. So what is the key to self-control? Surrendering control to God. So there must be this surrender in this process of spiritual growth. Surrendering complete control to God. God, I give you the freedom to take the all things of life and you arrange them any way you please. And I'm going to trust you. You're too good to do anything cruel. You're too wise to make a mistake. And I'm going to place my confidence in you even when I'm in pain, even when I'm perplexed, and I can't see you. Look at the next one, patient endurance. This is enduring suffering for the sake of Christ. Now, what does this mean practically? In other words, at this point, what is it that I bring to the table? My responsibility in this process of spiritual growth. Here it is. I have to accept the fact that spiritual growth will be like running a long, grueling marathon. That's it. I have to accept that. It's not going to be just a short dash. No, spiritual growth is painful, arduous, difficult. And I have to accept that fact. This is going to be like running a long, grueling marathon. And therefore, I have to run it one step at a time. I can't get ahead of myself. It's like Jesus said. Just focus on today, not tomorrow, because today has enough problems of its own, right? So, it's just one step at a time, with the commitment, oh God, give me the grace to remain faithful to Jesus, each and every step of the course you've laid out for my life. Give me the grace to go across that finish line, hearing those words, well done, now good and faithful servant. And then look at the sixth one, godliness. Well, look, look, uh, look, godliness, which is maintaining a right attitude toward God. And then look at seven, brotherly affection, which is maintaining a right attitude toward people. I can sum both of these up very, very simply, and we'll be talking much more about this in uh, future lessons. But folks, if, if I'm to grow spiritually, if you're to grow spiritually, it's never going to happen until you accept responsibility for your attitudes. Until you accept responsibility for your thought life. Because as I've said many times from this pulpit, God has wired us, He's created us, where it is impossible to think on two things at the same time. So when I find my thought life focusing on that which is unacceptable to God, I make a choice at that point to stop dwelling on that and turn my thoughts to God. Turn my thoughts to His Word. And yes, it will be a battle because I have an enemy in this process and he's not going to give up easily. But there comes a point where I can't blame others. I can't blame God. I have to say, I'm responsible for my stinking attitudes. I'm responsible for my thought life. Yes, I'm going to need God's grace going forward to clean it all up and to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But I have responsibility in this. And I have to stop making excuses. And I got to stop realizing, you know, what happens, let's be honest. 
No one knows your thought life but what? You. So only you can get serious about this. That's why I've said I've never known a single believer that's ever known any significant measure of spiritual growth until they got extremely serious about their thought life and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then look at number eight, and here's the key. I mean, this sort of sums it up. Love. And how would I define love in this context? Seeking the highest glory of God and the highest good of others. That's it. That's what I need to bring to this process of spiritual growth. God's provided the power, the promises, His person. And then God says, Andy, when you come to the table, I want you now to seek my highest glory and the highest good of others. And then look at Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Just a a great uh, passage to correlate with this. And we looked at this in our study of Philippians last year. Work hard. To show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So again, we see this balance. God is working in us, but then we have to work out our salvation. Work out what God has already worked in. So to achieve spiritual growth, there has to be what? A balance between the spiritual provision and the human responsibility. As we go into the invitation uh, this morning, uh, let, let me tell you what has been one of the keys to my spiritual growth. Now, don't misunderstand. When I refer to my spiritual growth, there have been many ups and downs. There's been as many failures as there's been victories, and that's still going on. Uh, I, I, I acknowledge that. But one of the keys to my spiritual growth is is what we've talked about today. I, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that if I'm not growing as I should, if I fail, if I falter, whatever it might be, the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. And I need to begin to assume responsibility for my character, my conduct, if we've talked about my attitude, my thoughts. And so I turn to God in that brokenness, in that humility, in that absolute dependence upon Him, acknowledging my failure. Praise God, He's made provision for that failure through the blood of Jesus Christ. I can know His forgiveness, always have a new beginning. And then Him give me insight on how to tackle this issue and go forward in victory. But it begins by the recognition, the problem's not with God. There's only one possible answer. The problem's with me. Amen? So there's responsibility in this. So as we extend the invitation, for you that are believers, here's the simple challenge. I already gave it earlier. Will you begin praying those two prayers on a regular basis? That's my challenge. You want to grow? I gave you a guarantee last week. If you practice what I share, I guarantee you will grow. And what I would recommend is you begin praying those two prayers. That God would open your eyes to see what you have, and then God would give you the grace to appropriate what you have. Now, that's not going to be all to it, but that's a good beginning place, isn't it? To be able to see that, understand that, and beginning to learn to appropriate. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. And He's offering you this today new life. He's offering you forgiveness. And I would invite you 
to invite him in, to forgive you of your sins, to take control of your life and begin this wonderful journey in spiritual growth, uh, to come to know him, to come to love him, to become more and more like him. So please stand as the invitation is extended and you simply respond uh, to whatever God has spoken to you right there in your pew. If you're looking to unite with the church family, please come forward.